Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald. Like you said, each Money Making Conversation talk show is about entrepreneurship and entertainment. I provide the consumer and business owner access to celebrity, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For some, it's a sizable paycheck. Mine is helping people wake up and inspiring them to accomplish their goals and living their very best lives through their passion. And that's what this show is all about. I want you to stop tripping over small challenges and prepare to rise above bigger obstacles that life is going to present you. The Money Making Conversation interviews provide relatable information to the listener about career and financial planning, entrepreneurship, motivation, leadership, overcoming the odds, and how to live a balanced life. My next guest is on the phone. On a daily basis about business and life and sports, he is the man. USA Today called him the most powerful talent in the sports business just a year ago, and he followed it up with his best year as a professional. He has reshaped sports talk and is the most socially engaged talent, sports media talent in social media today. It really is incredible. He is the face of ESPN. He is the man. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, my man, Stephen A. Smith. What's going on, man? Stephen A. How you uh, doing? I'm doing really good, Stephen A. You know, uh, you know, I know you just finished a couple of hours on first take, so the energy's up there. You know, every day you let me tell you something, Stephen A. Going into the show, because you're a pretty laid back guy. You're not a you're not the guy we see on TV for two hours, correct? No, not for two not the guy you see on you know, for two hours. I, I know how to wind down and relax and be a little mellow. I pace myself and conserve my energy for when it's time. I'm very big on that. And it's really important because of the fact that you have so much to say, but sometimes it's all about sports. And, you know, and I, you know, I often have conversations about, hey, man, I want to tell a different story about my life. And so to, there's rumors there's a book in the making. And why do you feel it's important that you write a book? Well, I think there's a lot of people that, you know, talk about me and they have a lot of things to say, uh, but there are a lot of things that I don't talk about on television or radio. There's a lot of things that I don't get into, uh, particularly as extensively as I would get into it uh, and, and as it pertains to a, a book. So, you know, people have been on me. You're one of those people that have been <laughs> all over me about writing a book for years and years and years. And so. I finally, you know, during, you know, once this coronavirus uh, kicked in and obviously the sports world and the world overall has been brought to a halt, um, it's given me an opportunity to reflect. And whereas a lot of people are going through some hard times, all of us are uh, to some degree, it's an incredible adjustment that we all have to make. I also look for opportunities when they present themselves and the opportunity to sit down, to hunker down and to be a bit introspective. Uh, and, and really, really get into what I want to say, why I want to say things mm-hmm. that I want to say and how I want to go about saying this, this, this coronavirus situation has afforded me the opportunity to be more introspective than I've ever been. And as a result, instead of thinking about the hustle and bustle that exists in the real world, it's allowed me to step back, be a bit introverted and come out you know, swinging right. when it's time. Right. You know, you you know, really the thing that I always enjoyed when I talked to you is about giving 100% and you understand the role of the employer and the employee. And you always promote employees giving 100% to their employee. Explain to us exactly what you mean by that. Well, if you're working for somebody else, you're not winning unless your employer wins. Mm-hmm. And I understand and I've learned to understand that the hard way through trials and tribulations that I've endured in my career, you're not winning 
if your employer is losing. You must first ensure their success and then master how to reap the benefits from it. That's really, it's really a two-prong agenda that you should have. Right. You shouldn't be about the business of getting yours without getting theirs because that's not winners do. And you shouldn't be about the business of ensuring that they get theirs, but ignoring yourself right. because that's not when the, what winners do either. It's the collabor it's the collaboration of both ideas, agendas, etc., coming together that breeds true success. And even if you became an entrepreneur, it's like thinking about your bottom line without thinking about the consumer that you're looking to patronize your product. That doesn't make any sense. You can't possibly win as an entrepreneur if you're not giving the consumer what they covered, because in the end, you're not going to have any kind of sustained success because you paid attention to your needs instead of paying attention to the needs of others. And when you learn to pay attention to the needs of others, right. then ultimately it breeds success because, again, you thought about something not instead of yourself but something that extends beyond yourself, thereby ensuring the success of a multitude of people as opposed to you. So if the ultimately hit a, a pitfall, a whole bunch of folks that you initiated success for, that you benefited, not that you just benefited from, but you made sure they benefited from you. Right. You have them incentivized to uplift you and to not keep you lying down. Well, that means that Basically, even in because we always think about it, you know, uh, from an employee, 40 hours a week, I go do my time. And you're saying, hey, do your time. If you do more than your time, you give 100 percent, then it benefits the employer, which means that that company can sustain itself longer, which means there may be raises, maybe promotions available. But if you run, if you run and giving 50, 75 percent, then who is that benefit? It's not going to benefit you. That's basically what you said. And that's one of the important reasons why I always promote a career instead of a job. Because the job is doing what you have to do to sustain or elevate your quality of life, but a career is doing what you want to do. And it just so happens to do those things as well. And the reason why the career is important is because the job is when you punch in a clock. You're looking at how much time you have to dedicate to this particular task at hand. And the days are longer and the hours are longer. And just your plight of your responsibilities are far more arduous and cumbersome as a result of that. You can't possibly be given a full-fledged effort because you're operating devoid of enthusiasm. But when you're doing the things that you want to do, you're not paying as much attention to the clock, the time, the commitment that is required because you're enjoying what you're doing. And therefore, it becomes almost effortless. And as a result, you're not thinking about the eight hours or the nine hours right. that you have to put in. There's sometimes you might put in 60, 70 <laughs> hours a week mm -hmm. without even scratching it, without even batting an eye because you're doing something that you're enjoying. And when I find people, I, you know, people can sit up there and say, okay, he's got some success and, you know, he's earned a little cash now and all of this other stuff. But I swear to you, Rashawn, the number one thing that has people envious or jealous of me and my career that I haven't counted is that they know I enjoy my work. Right. They can't say the same in a lot of situations about themselves. It's not the success I reap. It's the fact that when I've got to bust my tail and work hours upon hours a day, it doesn't seem to phase me. The sacrifices that I have to make, it doesn't seem to phase me. It's not that it's literally true where certain things will phase you. That time, I mean, you can get tired, you can get sleepy, you might be sick, whatever the case may be. But overall, by and large, I'm living a good life. It's not because of the money I make. It's right. because of the enjoyment that I get from earning my money 
first, and then obviously the money comes after. It really amazes me that you know when I when I look at your brand, you know, and I've watched you. We've known each other a long time, and uh, we, yeah. we, we've been both part of personal ups and downs in each other's career, and supported each other in both instances. So. What makes you so popular now, Stephen A? What you know, you know, what 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 made it pop? You know, what made you explosive? And you know, you drop a video goes viral on Twitter. You know, your your likes and your followers explode on Instagram because because Instagram account you just started Instagram account like two years ago, right? It wasn't that long ago. Yep. It's, it's almost three million. Well, you. Well, well, first of all, you would know because you're the one that convinced me to start it. That's number one. Uh, number two, you would know a lot about my career because you were there to help me uh, when I was down and out, which is why I brought you on as my business manager, because you're somebody I can trust. Number three, um, to answer the question directly, I think people know I'm not a artist, that I mean what I say mm-hmm. and I say what I mean mm-hmm. and they know it. And, 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 and as a result, I'm trustworthy. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be right. 100% of the time, a devoid of making mistakes or anything like that. It means that people know I don't lollygag. I put forth a full fledged effort. I strive to be great at whatever I choose to do. I'm relentless in my pursuit of it. And more importantly than anything else, whatever I perceive as my truth, based on the information that I have acquired, people know and trust that I'm going to give it to them. I don't let them down in that regard. Even on the rare occasions when I've been wrong, people see me say, I was wrong. Right. Period. Mm -hmm. There's no excuses. This is what it is. And so when you've encountered somebody in this day and age full of BS, when you see people around here full of BS, you know, double talking, trying to take shortcut, shortcuts and, and, and basically implement a Cliff Notes version of things in their life. And then you encounter somebody whose resume and whose persona tells you I'm about anything but shortcuts and I'm going to be as real and as authentic as I possibly can be. I think the number one ingredient to my success is that people trust me to be exactly who the hell I say I am. And they can appreciate that. <laughs> that is absolutely the truth. I have not been there. You know, Stephen, I'm trying to do this interview, man, like I don't really know you. I'm trying to get some questions out there. You know, you have to tell everybody about our little business together, man. I'm just trying to keep, you know. Uh, well, I'm not, I'm not well, I, what I'm not going to do, what I'm not going to do. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I've always, and I've always been big about that. It, listen, there are people, do you realize there are people in my business, in right. radio and in television, there are people who have, for example, radio shows. Right. Mm-hmm. And they have partners. Mm-hmm. But their name is on the radio show and not the partner. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't operate that way. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very, very big on giving people credit who deserve credit. Mm-hmm. People are shy. I was doing an interview with my colleague Dan Levitard at ESPN just last week. And I was talking about folks that, and, and Mel Kuyper Jr. was on the air with me the other day. And I was talking about how. He's forgotten more football than I know. Yes, or does. Dan Levitar was one of the people that spearheaded the way for people like myself to further enter this business. And they don't want to hear stuff like that because, you know, they're humble dudes, very accomplished, but they're embarrassed to some degree by the praise. I give it to them anyway 
because I know I'm humble. And right. I want to make sure to remind people I didn't get here alone and I'm not going to stay here on top because I intend to be on top for a long time. I'm not going to stay here alone. Right. The people who help me, I'm going to carry right along with me because that's how I roll. Cool. We'll be back with more of Stephen A. Smith and uh, got some interesting conversation because him and I get into some arguments on a regular basis about sports, TV, everything, because he think you know as much as I know. And that's questionable at times. <laughs> well, I do know. Well, I, do, I know more than you do about sports. <laughs> Be right back. <laughs> more money making conversations. Hi, this is Rashawn McDonald, and you're listening to Money Making Conversations. Stephen A. Smith is my guest. Um, Stephen A. Wendy Williams show. Uh, you taped it a couple of weeks ago. You appeared on it, and at the end of the show, I'm sure it caught you off guard. She started crying when you complimented her son. You know, once. Did that catch you off? What, what was your reaction to that? I'm sure it was a good reaction, but it was. It caught me off. It it, 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 it caught me off guard. I really, really appreciated. Um, I really appreciated uh, what I considered to be a very authentic reaction on her part, mm-hmm. uh, because regardless of what she's going through in her life or what she's going through in her life at a particular moment, at a particular moment, first of all, she is a great talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and number two, she has always pledged and has displayed an undying devotion to her son. I know her son is a fan of mine, mm-hmm. that he's a sports fan. Um, and, and he's always a couple of times I met him once or twice. He was incredibly kind. And, and plus he's a young kid on the come up that has a promising life ahead of him because of the life his mama has provided for him. And mm-hmm. so I just wanted to pay, you know, she was kind enough to have me on her show. And I wanted to take the opportunity to pay tribute to her um, as a mom by just showing her son some love. Because if you know anything about mamas, it's very, very <laughs> important to them that their children receive some love. And so mm-hmm. he deserves it. Um, he deserves it. And I wanted to make sure that I gave it to him. But I, I did not expect that reaction. But I did consider it very authentic on her part and very, very real. And, and I was honored that she had me on her show. Um, and I was honored that she was touched by, you know, my kind words towards her son. Okay, cool. Well, because Wendy Williams is a, a person that cr- can create controversy about the type of questions that she yep. asks. And and, yep. and and this interview was uh, was a powerful interview from the standpoint of you were allowed to be Stephen A. And she was allowed to be Wendy. And it came across as an authentic interview. That's what you always talk well, about maintaining. Well, I, I, I will say this and I'll say this. I understand her reputation and mm-hmm. I get all of that. Uh, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying no comment. There's right. nothing wrong with saying I'm not going there. Right. And if necessary, <laughs> none of your business. Right. And so and she she didn't take me to that point. But as she took me to that point, I'm perfectly capable of saying I'm not broaching certain subjects about my personal life or anything like that. Right. I was glad that she didn't do it. Mm-hmm. But if she had done it, it would not have surprised me because that's part of her show. Right. And, and, and in fairness to her. It's not like she's blindsiding you with it. That's her show. Right. That's who she is. And if and if you come on her show, you know, it's not like folks didn't know. And a lot of times hosts get discredited and maligned for being who they are. People knew exactly what they were walking into, chose to walk into it anyway, and didn't want to blame her. I'm not down with that at all. I knew what the interview was going to be about. She was very honest and forthcoming about what the subject matter was going to be. She stayed true to that. And I respect and I appreciate rather the level of respect 
that she showed me, and I'm thankful for it. Cool. Now let's get into a little basketball here. The Last Dance is, sure. uh, is uh, out there in um, a documentary, a documented series that was ahead. Ten part, yeah, ten yeah. series. Ten rolling, part rolling, yeah. rolling. Now Shaq did three straight championships with the Lakers. Rolled mm-hmm. in on the debate, and you saying that Shaq's Lakers, that's with Kobe. Yep. Couldn't do anything with the um, Bulls and MJ and Scott. No, 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 not with the Bulls in their prime. No way on earth. They would have got destroyed. Okay, cool. Let's, let's just break that down. So you had Shaq. Who's going to hold Shaq? Well, first of all, nobody's going to hold Shaq, but Shaq was going to hold himself at the free throw line because he was shooting about 50%. <laughs> so free throws alone were one thing. You have to also take into account that Chicago had at least a three, sometimes a four-headed monster. Right. Why does that matter? with the big boys because they had 24 fouls to give. Mm -hmm. So in other words, you could have fouled Shaq all day long and he'd have just missed free throws. Kobe wasn't yet in his prime. He was a young, tremendous talent, but he hadn't really honed in his skill as a superb basketball player and the second greatest point or off guard in the history of basketball until later on, not before that particular moment in time. Number four, Michael Jordan uh, was not only a prolific scorer averaging 30 a game and 33 per game in the postseason and not even – you remember, Michael Jordan averaged 1.73 point shots per game in his career. So he averaged over 30 a game shooting two-pointers. Right. Okay, in this era, you don't see that. And then considering the road travel to prosperity, having to toughen yourself up, to go through the likes of the Detroit Pistons. Ooh. If you recall, if you recall, Shaquille O'Neal got swept in the finals by Hakeem Adrian Olajuwon and the Houston Rockets. Your Houston Rockets, Kenny Smith, mm-hmm. Robert Ory, mm-hmm. Vernon Maxwell, Sam Cassell, Olajuwon, these boys. It wasn't on Chicago's level. Let's be clear about that, okay? So we, when we look at it from that perspective and Jordan and Pippen's ability to defend along with the other guys that just played their roles the Lakers would not have won more than one game in a series against them. It would have been similar, very similar to what the Detroit Pistons did to Shaq and Kobe and the Lakers in 2004. Okay, cool. Well, then let's go to the early years of Magic, Byron Scott, Michael mm-hmm. Cooper, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yep. Right. What about that team? That would, have been, that would have been a far more tougher matchup because of Kareem, because there was no answer for Kareem. You wasn't going to send Kareem to the free throw line and he was going to miss 50% of the time. He's the lone individual, the all-time leading scorer in NBA history, and the only person in the history of basketball with one unstoppable move, which was the sky hook. There was no answer for that. That would have been problematic. Here's what I can tell you. That fast break that you saw for the Los Angeles Lakers, that would not have happened against, that would not have happened against the Bulls. Because Scottie Pippen, remember that even though Magic was younger and it wasn't 1991, in 1991, the key to that series after Chicago had lost game one to the Lakers was that Scottie Pippen picked up on Magic 94 feet. No one did that to Magic. And if you recall, part of Magic's greatness was that Magic was 6'9". So he could look over opposing point guards to run an offense and to make those phenomenal passes that he made. With Pippen in front of his Six, face, eight. he would not have been able to do that. Mm, 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 mm. So and with, that's where your problem lies. So I would tell you that the Lakers would have given them more trouble with 
Worthy, Kareem, Woo! Magic, Cooper, Byron Scott, and those boys—they mm, would have mm, gave them. They they would have gave them more trouble. Mm. But I would not bet against Jordan because Jordan and Pippen's defense was so phenomenal. It would have been a problem. Cool, and that's that's really great. Now, when we look at the show first take, you know, it was a groundbreaking show when it first came out, and now it seems to be emulated everywhere on ESPN, on Fox Sports. When Skip Bayless left the show, what were your thoughts when he left the show? And what are your thoughts now, being how big the show has grown and your brand has grown and really becoming a phenomenal talent that you are today? I was I had mixed emotions. Um, I was not worried about Skip's absence affecting me and what I do on the air because I don't predicate my abilities or my success on what other people are doing. I'm always prepared to carry my own load. But I had mixed emotions because on one hand, I knew the show would be on my shoulders. I would be captain of the ship. The profile would be primarily, if not exclusively, on my shoulders. And that would elevate my profile, but also elevate the level of scrutiny that came in my direction, which was fine. The flip side to it is that I was genuinely going to miss my man. Uh, Skip Bayless, I would not have been on first take if it were not for Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless asked me to do the show. He, they would never have put me on the show if Skip Bayless didn't insist that he wanted me on the show. Because at that time, I had had a falling out with ESPN over a contract dispute. I was gone for a couple of years. When I came back initially, they didn't even allow me to be on television the first year. I was strictly, I was restricted to radio. It was Skip Bayless that fought to have me on TV. And Jamie Horowitz, uh, the, the executive producer of the show, ultimately co-signed on that. And as a result, the honchos at ESPN decided to capitulate to their wishes and bring me on the show. So I owe my presence on first take to Skip Bayless. But then also what people don't realize is that you could call it a foil or whatever the case may be. You, I, I'm a counterpuncher one minute. I can punch the next or whatever the case may be. With Skip on the show with me, I have the ability to swing for the fences because I got somebody that's in the trenches with me that does not care about what anyone has to say if he believes what he truly believes. And that's exactly how I think. There was no such thing, not show to show, not week to week or month to month, literally segment to segment. I could be the bad guy one segment. He was the bad guy another. When the show ended, we were equally loved and equally hated. And we were in it together. Max Kellerman is a tremendous, tremendous talent. He's smart as a whip, highly educated, Ivy League school education, the whole bit, does his homework, works, knows what he's talking about. And I like him genuinely as a person. The only issue I have with Max is that for the purposes of first take is that where Skip and I don't give a damn about what anybody has to say. Max cares tremendously about what people have to say. If you don't vibe with me and you don't have the same opinion as I have or Skip have, we could give less than a damn. Right. If you don't agree with Max, Max is like, how can you not agree with me? And feels this insatiable appetite to explain to you why he's right, thinking that he can convince you. Skip and I don't care to convince you. I think that makes for an ideal mix. It's not better or worse or anything, but it's an ideal mix that I don't believe can be duplicated. And that's why he will always be my brother. 
we will always be tight because I would not be where I am today um, if it were not for first take. And there would have been no first take for me right. if Skip, remember, he didn't sign off on it. He pushed for it. Mm-hmm. He insisted on it and asked me to do it. I didn't want to do it. He asked me to do it. <laughs> first take is Stephen A. Smith is all about Skip Bayless. Congratulations. Uh, Stephen A., um, Game of Thrones ended last year. It's a lot of controversy. Everybody hated the ending, and uh, I didn't like the ending either. So you can put me in Everybody hated I, I, You can put me in that clip. Put me in that clip. Mm-hmm. Homeland. When, uh, you know, we talk mm-hmm. about this show a lot. Uh, Clara Danes is the star of the show. Yeah, uh, she's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Now, the finale happened, and um, I'm going to tell you this. It, it was a couple of times in the show that I almost turned it off because I was frustrated by the direction it was taking the lead character, Claire. But in the mm-hmm. end, I thought it was a fantastic finale. Your thoughts? So did I. I thought the ending was phenomenal because you looked at what happened and her betrayed. I, I, I know without even asking you when you wanted to change the channel, her willingness to you know, do that to Saul oh. and ultimately and ultimately <laughs> compromising him. You know, the thing about it is, is this. When you think about Saul and what he has done for her and what he has meant to her, for her to betray him that way, although it was to prevent a war right, and prevent millions of people from dying, mm-hmm. you know, and in the same breath, it still disgusted you that she would do that to him. But for it to end with her saying, with her sending him that note, letting him know, I'm spying for you now. I've replaced your asset in Russia. I thought that was a phenomenal ending. And it left room, obviously, for Homeland to come back. The end is, it's not the end after all. Wow. I, you know, some, if that was like a brilliant writer move. You know, I was like, I yeah. didn't see that coming. Um, you know, it was like you know, it was a couple episodes when he said when Saul said that you know she the mo- he she is the most single minded person I've ever met in my life, and right. they carry that through the final episodes when she's on a well, mission, the bigger picture. Right? Do I have a minute to give you an analogy? Absolutely, that? absolutely. The, the the ending was so profound for me, not just because of that, but because of her sitting next to her boyfriend, who was the Russian spy. <laughs> and smiling and laughing, but also the smirk that came over Saul's face at the end. And what I compare that to, if you ever remember the movie, The Kingdom with Jamie Foxx, mm-hmm. and in the and, and it's a phenomenal movie and Jamie Foxx was phenomenal in it. He tells uh, the, the former girl for Alias, he tells her, they said, what did you say to her after her boyfriend had gotten killed early in the movie? Jamie Foxx said, I said, we're going to kill them all. Yes. And a little boy in a little boy in the Middle East who watched his grandfather killed by Jamie Foxx and them. The, his mother asked him, what did you say to your grand? What did your grandfather say to you? And the grandfather, he said, the grandfather said to me, we're going to kill them. Worry not, my son. We're going to kill them all. And then it ends with the boy frowning and looking into the camera and looking mad and evil as hell showing you that the conflict between us and the Middle East is not going anywhere. And right. his faith said it all. 
that was what Homeland was like last night. It was powerful. It was it was a great ending. It was a great, like I said, you know me, man. I was I was looking at the show, man. I was like, I was struggling. I said, I cannot believe this, man. I cannot believe. And I hung in there, Stevie. I hung in there and I went, great ending. Great ending. If you're a fan of the show, it it's definitely something I'm going to watch twice, maybe three times, because it's that, that great that great storytelling you can't pass up. Stephen A., thank you for coming totally on my true. show. Thank you for coming on my show. My All friend. right, my man. We talk All later. right, my brother. Talk okay, to you later. Yep. If you want to hear more Money Making Conversation interviews, go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host.